Welcome to Legally Scaling, the podcast for entrepreneurs and tech enthusiasts seeking insights into the common legal challenges faced by scaling businesses. This podcast is brought to you by Ignition Law, a leading law firm for startups, scale-ups and entrepreneurs. In this podcast episode, I'm joined by Alan Young and Neil Henderson, Joint Chief Creative Officer and CEO at independent creative agency St. Luke's, alongside Alex McPherson, founder of Ignition Law. Together, we explore the meaning of culture and values. We consider how getting the culture right can benefit organizations both internally and externally. And we discuss the various steps taken by St. Luke's and Ignition Law to foster strong cultures that resonate with stakeholders across the board. Alan, Neil, Alex, welcome. So to start off, Neil, what do we mean by culture? Yeah, it's a, it's, it's a very good question because cultures are quite an ephemeral thing, isn't it? it? And yet it's become so important in business today. I think well, I've been in business 30, more, more than that, years. And, I, and although culture has always been important, the decisions that are being made about it now by within our own business, but by clients who, who are choosing us, it really has become a critical part of the decision-making process. So it's a really, really important subject to consider. I guess what it is, is the way people behave when they're in a group. So it's not them on their own, it's how people are in a group. And you can take the same person and put them in a group where people are competitive, aggressive, keeping stuff to themselves, looking after themselves, and those people will start behaving like that. But the same person in another group where people are generous, helpful, sharing, it's all about teamwork, and that person will become that. People might feel more comfortable in one or the other culture, but what they go into that scenario and they will start learning quickly, oh, what, what are things like around here? How are they behaving? How's the top person behaving? And they'll adapt their behavior to suit. And that's the culture, what is actually happening in the room, in the building, between those people that defines what they talk about, the way they are with each other, the way they are with people outside the building. It's absolutely not what's written in the handbook. I had a, a, a great, great story from the guy that set up Emirates. We worked with Emirates many, many years ago. And he said, in the next three years, he was 82, this guy, in the next three years, I've got to hire 26,000 people. That's the, the speed they were growing at. It's unbelievable. And I said, well, what, what makes an Emirates person? And he said, well, the world basically splits into two types, the ones that do it for themselves and the ones that do it for other people. And we want the ones that do it for other people. That instinct for what was a really brilliant winning culture uh, was so so has been so important to Emirates' success over the years. I think that's such a brilliant definition. I mean, the way people behave when they're in a group, I've never heard it defined in that way, but it's given me flashbacks to so many previous experiences I've had. And it shows why, I guess, if not cultivated properly, one business can feel like it has dozens of different cultures within it, because at least my experience in larger companies in the past has been so different depending on who is directly managing me, who is managing them. Um, so it's a really interesting way of looking at it. Uh, Alan, do you have anything to add about the meaning of culture to you? Yeah, yeah. L- 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 I'm going to be sort of much more kind of prosaic about it, right? A, a culture for, um, is a shared agenda. Everything that Neil said is absolutely right. Well, what's the benefit of it? That we really, I was saying to Alex last time we, we met, in 22, we won 11 pitches in a row. In, in the middle of lockdown, um, all in different locations, all over the country. But we managed to win 11 pitches in a row because the culture was so strong. The clients knew they were looking at a rock 
solid team. Everyone was capable of finishing each other's sentences. Now, there are plenty of strategically brilliant agencies out there. Plenty. Plenty of brilliant creative agencies out there, too. We, like to think we, we, we are brilliant at those things. But I'm not sure that we're, that we're particularly better, but we are stronger culturally. And I think that that coming through, that, that shining through, even in the most sort of desperate and disparate situation, was the, the absolute key to our success in those pitches. Absolutely. It shows why it's so important that people actually understand culture, because if you don't understand what it means and what it can do, then then you don't know where to start when it comes to, to fostering it. Um, Alex, uh, over to you. What what does culture mean to you? Is there anything you can add to that? Yeah, well, it's so nice making a few notes while um, Al and Neil were going through that, because I, I think they've articulated it perfectly. And, and Al used the word shared, which I think says so much about culture generally, and very specifically here. I think the one thing I'd heard once, which was that culture is what happens when the senior leaders leave the room. So it's it, it's what what happens. A good culture is what happens when you're not there to police it, um, which is almost embellishing ex- exactly what Neil articulated so well. And I think I think once you get it right, that's the genius of culture that I, uh, you know that that is so powerful. Is it, it self polices? People will call you out in a three sixty way. This isn't aligned. This isn't values aligned. And, and that, that does everything. That's your recruitment strategy. That's your promotion. That's your um, client <laughs> recruitment through through lockdown, when, like, like you were saying when you're doing it remotely. Uh, I mean, the only other thoughts on it are that good culture, I, I think, ought to be aligned values and behaviours. You know, it ought to be that what's going on day in, day out um, aligns to, to, to the values. It's hard. Like, like I was saying, it's hard to just write it down in a book and, and I think one has to be quite forgiving to, to allow time for it to evolve and change but but I think at some point there should be an aspiration that culture is articulated yeah. so that it's not you know not um, too abstract yep and I, I really like that point about it not being too abstract when, when I was at business school there were modules around that and I, I never took any interest in them because it was taught in such an abstract I guess classic business school way in in some respects it was only when I started working in businesses yeah. and then founding and running my own that I, I started to really understand what was meant by culture and, and the, the possibilities of uh, that you can generate when when you get it right I guess on that note I'll put this to Alan first and I know we briefly alluded to this but could you elaborate on the importance of culture internally for a business I guess looking at uh, employees and, and all the other things that go on within those those four walls or I guess virtual sphere nowadays more and more. Yeah, I think this thing about the impact of employ on employees is is so interesting. And I loved what Alex was saying a moment ago about it's it's what happens when you're not there. Because because culture is organic, okay. So we can think about how it affects employees, but we kind of trying to reverse that and think about how's a new employee going to affect our culture. At the moment, there's about between 50 and 60 of us. And every time someone new comes and every time someone leaves, it affects the culture every single time. And we think that's a good thing. We genuinely do. So when somebody arrives, they're asked to buy a present for the agency. They are told to drive initiatives, to take personal control of something that can benefit us all. So suddenly we have, so, so instantly you've got someone taking a yoga class in a few weeks, you have someone who's got a choir going in the agency. You'll have somebody else who's doing more earnest professional development programs. But someone might mention that they're interested in something, expecting the management to then take up the mantle and execute it, but say, no, no, you do that. You do that and you do that in your way too. 
because culture is organic. You can't encode it. What's Aristotle's phrase? All character is action, isn't it? You know, you can have these words to define your culture, or you can, or you can look at people's genuine behaviours and kind of in, and, and encode those. Recognise what's happening rather than try and put it, push it top down. Culture comes from the ground up, and it always should because then it's then it's authentic. Yeah, I love those practical examples of how you get people involved from the outset once they join. Um, but I'd be interested to know how, practically speaking, you try to make sure that the people you hire do feed in positively. I, I appreciate that they will change the culture and that can be a real positive, but are there particular steps you take at the recruitment stage to try and get this stuff right? We hire very slowly. How many, how many interviews do people go through, Neil? Five or six, maybe more. That very importantly people don't just meet the people in their department when they're interviewing. They, they meet three, four, five departments as part of it because the day you land in, the, in, in a new company is so critical to your feeling about that for months later. I mean, maybe the whole time you're there, that first week is so important. If you come in and you go, oh, I've been approved by the head of planning, the head of account management, that production guy, then I'm properly in this culture. I'm I'm really part of it from the get-go. I don't come in going, I'm a planner, I've been hired by the planning department, planning director, and now I have to deal with all these other people who, who might have some, you know, judgments about me. <laughs> so it is that sense of acceptance that is very, uh, that, that plays a huge part from, from the get-go. And then it's, yeah, inducting people properly. They get a buddy as soon as they arrive. Um, they get to know the story of the company in the first couple of weeks. And then there's, there's lots of other things we do after that to, to really foster it. It's so important from the beginning that people feel a different kind of culture and want something they belong to. Yes, that makes sense. Because if you've got siloed teams and siloed recruitment processes, then you're going to have fragmented cultures across the firm. So I really like that idea of people needing to meet with different representatives from across the business who they'll probably be working with in some way, shape or form for one day. Alex, obviously, I've got a vested interest in this as I work for Ignition. But what steps do you take to make sure you hire in a way that keeps that culture consistent and you keep hiring wonderful people like me? <laughs> well, I think the first lesson to learn, Jake, was that I wasn't very good at recruitment. And actually, there were people who were a lot more talented at that. I mean, lessons that we learned early on and that many small businesses learn is when you get it wrong, the ramifications are huge. And, and, and as Neil said, what just one person joining or, or leaving can have a, a, an ongoing effect. So I think getting that wrong early on made us focus on the, the team that were doing the recruitment, the process for recruitment. But I think, as, as Al said, just, just doing it really slowly, being really cautious, making sure you listen to stakeholder buy-in. Um, I mean, I think one of the trickiest lessons to learn is where someone has a concern or, or, or wants to exercise a veto, you have, you have to really listen to that so that, so that you get it right. That's exactly right. The power of veto can, can exist with the most junior member of staff, but when they say something that resonates, I love that. I was about, about leaving and joining. One of the things I find most interesting is we have a strong management team in the agencies and, and four of them have left and gone away for sometimes for a year, sometimes for more than a, sometimes a few years, but four of them have all come back. And, and I think that that's the thing I'm just so, so proud of. And, they, and they've come back because they felt they had more mastery over the culture. They knew the person they had more agency and more mastery over shaping that culture. That's why they came back. 
Yeah, I think I think yep. that that veto thing is so important, and that that sense of where are you going to put your discretionary effort. So you know, having discretionary effort is out of out of people is so key. Are they really going to put their all into it? Are they going to be properly engaged? If it's the right culture, then that's what you get from people. The impact it has in terms of the amount of effort, imagination, time uh, people will give to the organisation is, is transformational, and and it gets really you know at the really kind of business end of things. Uh, it's what you pay people, you know, and it's been a very interesting couple of years with the cost of living crisis where money has become really important and we've seen people being offered very sizable salary increases to go to other places now some people have taken the money because money really is talking at the moment but so often it's the culture that has kept people and you know they've taken a decision that they'd rather if they look at the overall package uh, and money's just a part of it it means the culture makes up a large part of what their overall reward is. Um, so it has a real impact on the commercial side of the business as well, as well as maintaining that team of talent and that consistency and continuity uh, of being able to look after our clients. Yeah, hearing about those members of the management team eventually coming back, be that months or years into the future, really, really resonated. I think the great employees give a business a USP and therefore the role of culture and retention can be key to maintaining that USP. So, so we've been we've been focusing on the internal aspects. It'd be good to now look at some of the external benefits of getting culture right. Um, Alan touched on this a little bit already. So, Neil, I'll, I'll pass on to you first. It'd be great if you could elaborate on the importance of culture externally. I guess in, in terms of attracting and retaining clients. Yeah, as as I said at the beginning, clients are definitely using culture and values as part of their decision making process much much more than they were. We have to pitch, uh, as, as many industries do. We have to come up with a whole answer to a brief, um, and we're doing that competitively against against four or five other agencies. And you can just look at the idea and decide on on that basis. But clients now are really evaluating how we talk, how we do it, how we talk about it, the sort of activities that we're up to, the way we look after our people, and and that is definitely winning for us. Like we, we pitch for a very big American bank, you know, the sort of aggressive type client. You, you know, you would have thought we we start by talking about culture, and we got two charts in, and we talked about collaboration, and they were straight in wanting to know about how that collegiate working worked because it aligned with their values and that's that was you know that that discussion that we had around that I think is what essentially won us the pitch yes we came up with a great answer ultimately but it was being able to talk about how we work how we are with each other and how that gets shared with the client team that was so important because clients they understand culture is a competitive advantage they need their partners to be sharing that culture and if they can find partners that do, then they're going to get the momentum and the acceleration that they need. Ricardo, um, for example, we, we started working with during the pandemic. And we'd just done a, a big campaign that we created ourselves telling people to stay home now. So we took the NHS logo and flipped it to say SHN, stay home now. And it, and it blew up around the country. Uh, it got really huge. It was all done for free. Um, and Ocado said, when they were choosing agencies, they said, we saw you do that. And because you did that, we knew what kind of group of people you were. And we knew they're the kind of people that we could work with. So uh, it, it's become critical to the way clients are choosing agencies now.
That's such a brilliant example. And, and I think with the bank example, it's always important to remember, that even with the largest global corporations, that the, you are still working with individuals from that organization and, and individuals care about the people that they're working with. So that's that's where it comes in. It's easy to forget that a, a massive organization is a collection of individuals. Alex, it'd be, it'd be good to hear from you. So I know Ignition does loads of great stuff and clients also take a, a real interest in that. So great to hear from you about the importance of culture and your experience of, of attracting, retaining clients. So probably it starts with our, our very first client. I was chatting to this, this wonderful CFO and he was giving career advice, you know, what to do next. And then said, we've well, listened to the advice and we want to be your first client. And so it, it was suddenly a, wow, this stuff's really, really powerful. He, 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 he's championing us from, from, from the get-go because he really believes in a values-led law firm. And there was another example some months later where there was a client who was worried they're going to go insolvent and, and we had a huge amount of exposure to them. And they asked, can we swap engagement letters to a different entity in our group? And we, we did it all in good faith and found out subsequently that the reason they, they want us to swap engagement letters was because this other entity had more than enough assets to pay us if they went down. And that was really quite inspiring to 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 realize actually that, that they absolutely had our back. So I, I think it was very much instilled from, from the get-go that culture is everything in terms of attracting clients. The other point that came up that, that I think Neil was, was talking about and Al referred to was this mastery of cultures and the idea that it's dynamic, people have a, a stake in it and, and it's evolving. And, and I think that's hugely important with, with, with clients too, like that NHS logo and campaign that clients actually feel they've got a handle on where you're going and, and can influence it. I think that's that's the key thing about attracting clients and crucially retaining them is that they will hold you to account where you go wrong which is which is quite right but equally there's this sense of it being dynamic and 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 all working together to 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 build and drive culture and in crude terms you know cultural alignment like like neil was saying what's happening there is it's it's spilling over what's going on internally um at St. Luke's, and it's also what's going on in, in the client. So, it, so it's a lovely way to kind of cross-pollinate behaviour. Yeah, I think that there's really that's really true, Alex, is that the, the, when you get cultures working together, it, it really is phenomenal. We, we work with Shop Direct, who northern retailer, and they're very tough in some ways. But wow, do they know how to mix business and pleasure, for example. They're, they're and highly energetic, loads of fun. And from that fun comes new ideas, new bonding, a sense of resilience as well when things get really tough. Uh, and, you know, we very much allowed their culture to become part of our culture and they loved the interventions that we would make and they, they, they got a huge amount of energy from us. Ocado, for example, spend every Wednesday at seven or eight and come and spend the whole day here. And so we really are in, in each other's pockets kind of emotionally yeah. as well as uh, functionally, that's right. That kind of that, that kind of cross pollination creates its own momentum. And very was just a spectacular thing to work on. It went from a brand new brand to a billion pound business. Billion, pounds. a billion pound Two business. Billion pound business. How, how much? Two billion. One point seven. One point seven billion in around in around ten years, and that is, was all about product of sort of cultural momentum somehow. 
back to sort of the idea of retaining clients, it's interesting, isn't it, that that people by people, and the fact that we can that we have the one of the, probably the lowest attrition of employees in the industry means our clients keep coming back for the same people. So that the scale up's done, they exit. There's a new venture, they come. We're on we're onboarded for that, and then then it starts again. So, you know, our clients keep coming back with new ventures for us because they want to repeat that same kind of get that momentum up again. Yeah. I mean, the, the Ocado example shows that you can't hide a negative culture. It might be easy to think that culture remains hidden in the office, but it's very clear that it can leak through every external interaction. Even for the cynics out there, these are, these are such great concrete real life examples of how important it is to get this stuff right. Totally is. They can see it immediately. Um, so, so I think so far we focused a lot on uh, employees, then we've moved on to clients. It'd be good to look at it from the perspective of investors as well, especially when you're working with earlier stage businesses. Investment can be the, the, the catalyst for, for quicker scaling and, and it can make the, you know, the early stage business world go around. So starting with you, Alex, what, what do you think the importance of culture is and, and values when it comes to raising investment? Well, there, there's a good, good friend who's who was general counsel for many years at a hugely successful retail business that bucked all the trends over over COVID. And what she said, which really resonated with me, was that culture eats strategy for breakfast. And that's what they look for in businesses they were were buying every time or indeed investing in for, for, for fundraising rounds. I think we come back to the the point that I, that Neil was making at the start, Jake, which which is that there are givers and takers in this world. And I think investors are all over the, the the talent in the business. You know, it's very hard to find a business where where people aren't key. And when you follow that right the way through the journey to to exit, you see a lot of aquahires. You see a huge amount of investor focus on the talent in the business, which isn't to say they expect the talent to always stay there. There will be thoughts as to lever provisions and what happens, you know, as a company grows and the management structure evolves and changes. But right at the heart of its culture, and and the reason that's so key is statistically in the UK at least, around about four percent of new businesses will get to a million turnover. And 0.4% will get to 10 million turnover. And that really puts into context what, what Al was just saying about Very and how, how far you can go, um, but how far you can go against the statistics. And actually, when you look at those that are, that are defying the, the statistics and, and are in that 0.4%, let's just say, 10, 10 million turnover, that, that's what investors are all over and are really concerned with. And a huge part of that, yes, it comes down to the model, but it absolutely comes down to the leadership team and the values around that culture. Investors will be looking out for things such as the ability to listen, the ability to take feedback, adapt, learn, evolve, possibly even succession plan oneself to kind of step back once a a company, a startup, ellipses what that founder perhaps can do, you know, to to bring in a CFO, a CTO, whatever it might be. But it's absolutely at the core of what what investors are looking at. And I suppose the final point on that, um, Jake, is very much when you look at the follow-on investors that write subsequent checks. Again, they're only doing that when they feel they're aligned to, to the leadership team and where they're going. I think that's a really good point, especially the follow-on point, because founders might be able to make certain statements about their culture, or almost hide it at the very beginning. But when you start working long-term with, especially with like a, a VC firm that's more embedded, 
they will see if that culture is fragmented or, or toxic in any kind of way, um, yeah, even, even if the wall has been pulled over their eyes at the beginning. I'm guessing part of this is why the team slide is always front and centre in an investment deck. I guess those interactions based on culture will come across during pitches, which, are, which often involve more than one person from a potential investee business. Um, are you seeing increasing instances of investors asking these probing questions about values and culture? It's certainly this time we are, Jake. I mean, there, there was an example just last week where a client's got the most fantastic pitch pitch deck, but some of the feedback was, where's the diversity? Where's the diversity of talent? Your board looks incredibly non-diverse relative to your value statement. And, and, and so certainly... When you look at the statistics of how few, how much harder it is with inflation and the trickier economic climate, how, how many more options investors have got, um, values and, and, and calling out the alignment to values is, is absolutely key. Neil, Alan, is there anything you wanted to add to this? I've got a thought on that, actually, because in terms of kind of raising investment, you, I think it's worth thinking about culture as a story, because when people buy anything, they buy a story, and that includes buying an interest in a business or acquiring the whole thing. You're buying a story. One of the things that sort of thing I think sets Luke's apart from it is Neil and I think very hard. We always have about what is the company truth? What is the cultural truth about this organization? And we've become very good at articulating it. Sometimes people, like a fish swimming in water, the, the, the fish doesn't recognize the water. But that's culture, okay? And we're very good at looking at that and defining what that is. And that proves incredibly valuable in, in terms of attracting the right kind of stakeholders. Sometimes that's about investment. Sometimes that's about supplier partnerships. Sometimes it's about employees and, of course, customers as well. Because if you can find a way of capturing that, 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 that company truth, people know the story they're buying into and they can tell that story to others and feel good about it. So culture is a story, and that story is hyper valuable to investors. Yeah, I love I love the the fish analogy there as well. It's it's so very true. Um, Neil, sorry, I think you had something to add there. Well, I was just going to say, you know, that the way a company is it should be part of its branding. So it used to just be that that the brand was about the product or maybe about the audience, but the way a company is makes such a difference. You know, if you talk to a family owned company that's got family type values, then that should come through in the branding. If you've got talking to a really dynamic, high energy, competitive group of people, then bring that into the branding because someone investing in it is is going to understand what they're getting and and when they're evaluating the market, they're going to be drawn to those brands that make sense of where they think their money should go. Um, You know, is it a high empathy is this a highly competitive? Is this aggressive? Is this cool and calculating? These kind of things can really make someone stand out. And it's about authenticity. If they can see that screaming from the branding side and they go in and there it all is in reality from the top down, then it, it's. In, I, I think that whole thing is very, very persuasive. You know, if you, if you scratch beneath the surface of something and it isn't what it looked like, then your you, you sort of suspicions are raised, aren't they? If you scratch beneath the surface and it absolutely, and you keep going and it really is what it appeared to be on the outside, I think that's a very, very persuasive uh, stance uh, to have. Absolutely. Um, of course, it's not just important for investee businesses. It works both ways. If you're if you're a venture capital firm, a private equity firm, and you're competing against others to to invest in in 
really positive looking potential targets, those investee businesses will, will look up and say, what is your culture like? We're going to have to be working together. Are you going to fit well with our team? Can we trust you in the longer term? So it really is important across the board. So, so we've established and, and talked at length about why culture is so important in so many different contexts. And, and I know we've alluded to some of the answers to this next question as we've gone through, but it'd be great if you could summarize, Neil, um, some of the top things you've done whilst trying to foster the right culture at St. Luke's and maybe discuss any challenges you faced along the way. Yes, we've had a, had a few challenges. Um, <laughs> but I think, I think whenever you, you kind of try and do something different, you know, you learn some lessons, don't you? Um, I suppose I, I, Al was saying earlier that culture is about a story. And I think that's, that's very important to tell a story because stories are things that people want to be part of. If you just articulate a set of values, people can go, yeah, yeah, maybe I believe it, maybe I don't. I kind of need to see whether it's really happening. A story is something you can get involved with. And we talk about having a premise, not just a promise. So lots of people go out and promise things as companies. But if you can set up a premise, like a movie, people go, oh, I really want to watch this movie. Um, and the premise at St. Luke's is we're a place where everyone, everyone's voice counts. Now, there's no, in a lot of agencies, you know, it's all about what the management think or it's all about what the creative department think. It's all about the strategy department. Here at St. Luke's, it's every voice counts. And we then structure a whole rhythm of activities that allow that to happen. Because that's a very, very inspiring thought to people. People want to, people want to know, gosh, how does that how does that work? Al talked about people setting up yoga clubs and running clubs and so on. They get a joiner's gift when they, when they start. So they really begin to feel it from the beginning. Then we do things like we have a quarterly meeting where we share all the work in the agency. And it's not just in other agencies, the creative director stands up and says, these were the only two things that were any good. The rest of it was crap. Go and do better. Um, but at St. Luke's, everyone stands up and presents their work because everyone has a voice and that voice counts. We're very transparent about the finances and people are invited to comment on it. We have anonymous service where people can feed back, but we take action from those things. So again, everyone's voice counts. And then when we develop strategies for clients, instead of just the planner going away and doing that work by him or herself, it's, it's, it's run as a set of workshops with everyone in the team in it so that again, everyone's voice counts. So people, they hear that promise and then day in, day out, they're feeling it, they're feeling it, they're feeling it. And, and, they, and they love it and, and they, they feel that confidence and they contribute and they contribute and they contribute. And they can't then imagine being anywhere else. From that, they create stories about when they stood up and did this. They had this idea. They created this club. They created this idea. And then they're right in that story. And, that's, and they are part of the yeah. ongoing story. And so even when they meet people who were at St. Luke's 10 years ago, 20 years ago, and they go, oh, my God, I'm part of the same story. I've never, I didn't know you, but I feel like I, I did because the story is one long, very inspiring, continuous story. Yeah, I can see why there's so much, align, uh, so much alignment between Ignition and St. Luke's. Uh, there are so many businesses that might just stop after articulating the tagline, everyone's voice counts on a website career page, but they don't go as far as it, the way you phrased it, structuring a whole rhythm of activities to make this happen. It's, it, I guess it's about doing, not just saying. And there are so many practical examples you could draw on then to, to show that that was the case. So re really, really helpful. Um, uh, Alan, did you have something to add there? 
I want to ask Alex again about, about the right of veto. Could you just repeat that for me, Alex, and maybe embellish upon it a little bit, because I, I thought it was so brilliant. Yeah, pleasure. So so we had it recently. There was someone we really wanted to offer to, and uh, and it made sense. It was a, a, and, a, and I think Neil referred earlier to this notion of a cultural truth. And uh, and then when we really wanted to offer to somebody um, for a particular role, and we really needed... Uh, to offer you know, from an economic perspective, but but one person said something's not sitting quite right, and uh, and we have to say no, even though there's no other candidate, and the work sat there, and and that was actually the correct decision. It turned out not not through any great malice on this individual's part, it just that this this person wouldn't quite have been the right cultural fit, which which runs both both ways. So I think that, that this notion of there being a veto from empowered stakeholders that really have a huge interest in, in being very protective and conservative on the culture whilst allowing it to evolve a little bit um, over time, as, as, as Neil was saying, with everyone joining and leaving does impact it. Um, th- this notion of a right of veto is critical because actually people are then properly engaged in the in, in the recruitment process. Um, we had it last year where there was another awkward cultural truth where one of our very largest clients by spend there was cultural disalignment. People were being worked right the way through the night and and that, that wasn't really what, what we were about and, and some of the behaviour wasn't wasn't exactly aligned. And so we had to part company which had a you know a significant PL consequence. But I think the notion of a veto is people really calling out, as Neil put it, the cultural truth and really feeling empowered to do so. It's not everyone wants a voice or everyone has a voice, it's every voice counts. It's really important that because some people don't like exercising their voice too much. They may be quite introverted, they may be quite quiet, but their brains are brilliant often as not. I can give you, there's a few people I, that we have in here, the young, so few young, brilliant people who are a little bit introverted, but I can see them frown or grimace sometimes, and I will jump on that and I will wring the truth out of them. Why don't you like it? Why do you think it's wrong? And I won't stop until I've got that, 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 that truth out of them because I know it's gonna be really valuable. And they will say the thing that's going to kill that idea or or force a rethink or force a repackaging of it or something. So to get those, so, so they can, even the most junior person can sink, sink the project to date because, because, they've got, because they've got an opinion and we need it. It's not just about everyone can talk, it's about it counts, it matters, it can stop things, it can start new things. The way you handle that feedback also ties into culture because you handle it in a way that makes people feel comfortable. They're more likely to be forthcoming in the future. And then that creates a really positive cycle. When they know their voice counts, they get into their stride. Yep. Did anyone else have anything to add? It'd be good to, to make this a bit of a free-for-all at the end. I did, I did just have a funny example of, of, of power of veto uh, sort of in the early days of St. Luke's. We were, we were a cooperative. So, so, Everyone having a voice counting in those days meant everyone was an actual shareholder. We have a profit share now, uh, but but it meant they were very. We got some very very vocal people, and um, I'd just become managing director, and the the, the receptionists had decided that they should, we should have a parrot in reception. So you can hire a parrot. I didn't know you could hire a parrot. So they went and hired a parrot. But, you know, a bit of interest, make it a bit different. Of course, parrots start mimicking what's around them. The agency's pretty noisy. This parrot started getting very noisy. And it ended up, there was nowhere in the building you could make a phone call without hearing this wretched parrot in the background. So I was, I was about to go on holiday, and I said to the, to, to the girls behind the desk, look, parrots 
been fun, but let's return the parrot, you know, end of parrot. Um, walked up the street a week later, back from holiday, and I could hear the thing from the other end of the street. Well, I'm afraid the office manager uh, decided to hold a vote, and um, and I'm afraid you got 49% and the parrot got 51%. So <laughs> the parrot won. <laughs> that, that is a great example of when, when flattened hierarchy can go wrong. Yeah, and I couldn't just go, right, well, that's the end of it, get rid of the parrot. I, we just we kind of had to move it to a quiet corner in the basement. <laughs> that's absolutely brilliant. I'm glad, I'm glad you stuck to your guns though, about everyone having a voice and, uh, and ultimately your veto didn't count. <laughs> so that's brilliant. Um, so Alex, were, were there any, any other examples you wanted to give about the steps you take to foster, foster that culture at Ignition? I mean, I think the, the, the challenges over the years were at the start trying to control it. I think that's the other thing with culture, like the parrot. <laughs> you can't control it all. You can't be, you know, the, you can't be the emperor on the sand commanding the waves. You actually have to it trust that the culture will evolve and grow in, 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 in the right direction. And cultures go wrong where they where you try and um, reinforce them in concrete and that sort of kills the dialogue. Um, the other point that came up was that actually you can't just have values written down. They have to drive behaviours. And, and one of the things we've, we've learned and tried to do is to have what we call aspirational values. So six behaviours that spell the word scaled and then two non-negotiables which spell the word it, scaled it, the, the I and the T are integrity and transparency. And those are those are the kind of you know the vetoes that, that that are non-negotiable but the other six are things that 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 we aspire to and you can't monopolize all six if you if you get very good at bringing in work sourcing as we call it then probably your skills on delivering and the technical detail are, are being relinquished to a degree so this notion of dynamic values and it being okay that they're aspirational that you're all working on them I think has come through from, from what uh, Alan Neil was saying there were so so many brilliant practical insights into why this stuff's important and I don't think the topic is talked about enough in this way um, so hopefully the cynics among our listeners will be will be converted um, and this will also reaffirm a lot of the things that that the non-cynics listening will, will have already thought and potentially started to put into practice so to totally change the subject right at the end for one final question, and I'm going to put Neil in the hot seat here because I love to end the podcast with this question. Neil, which entrepreneur do you admire and why? Uh, yeah, so one of our original clients was Anita Roddick, and Anita brought something very, very different to entrepreneurship, of course, when she launched The Body Shop and, and made it all about anti-animal testing. And that was a brand that was built out of a purpose. And I think she, of course, there are other brands like it, but she was the one really that put campaigning at the heart of brand building. And, and when you look now at the way massive corporations like Unilever are, are doing that, exactly that, I think that she was the one that, that stuck her neck out, made it important and was really, really aggressive about it. And we learned a phenomenal amount. That, that whole idea about business being a force for good, that no one talked about that particularly back in 1995, um, but it was core to the way we thought about business. Um, and, it's, and it has absolutely changed the way business is done, I think, around the world. It's truly inspiring. Well, Alan, Neil, Alex, thank you so much for speaking to us today. And thank you to everyone who has tuned in to listen. If you have any questions, you can get in touch via stlukes.co.uk and ignition.law. Until next time. Thank you.